You're listening to Sphera Now, a podcast for environmental health, safety, and quality professionals around the globe. This is brought to you by Sphera, the largest global provider of integrated risk management software and information services with a focus on environmental health and safety, operational risk, and product stewardship. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Sphere Now podcast. I'm James Trani, Sparks Editor-in-Chief. Today on the program, I'll be speaking with Andy Bartlett, Sphere's Solution Consultant for Operational Risk Management. We'll be discussing what we call Andy's Almanac on Accidents. As a process safety expert with more than four decades of experience, let's just say Andy has seen some things. These incidents are important to discuss to help learn not only what happened, but how organizations can ensure these types of incidents do not occur again. So let's discuss. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andy. Uh, I should mention that this is going to be a three-part series, and in this first part, we will dis- we will be discussing Andy's career working in the UK on industrial incidents. So how are you today, Andy? Yeah, I'm fine. It's cold snap here in the north of England, so it's time to get the winter woolies out. We, we still have some warm weather here in Chicago, so we're lucky <laughs> about that. So before we begin, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got interested in uh, incident management in the first place? Yeah, when when I first joined the uh, an industrial facility, which was back in uh, October 1977, uh, you know, part of the orientation, they would discuss an incidents that happened in the past. And w- one of them was quite interesting because we were told during the induction that the only fatality was a cow in a nearby field and about one of the employees who they all knew, I, I didn't know him, had, had ran. And was, as he was climbing the security fence, his coveralls got burnt off and, and he got his back burnt. But later on, I went to look in the archives of the local newspaper uh, and, and the phrase, a terrific explosion occurred at the new PVC resin plant, hurling large lumps of metal under the railway line and shattering windows and homes as far as three miles away. And then later on in the in in the uh, article, it talked about ten employees being injured, six of them requiring hospital hospitalisation, some for some months. However, they, they did all recover, and some of them still worked at the facility. So I began to think, you know, what would it have been like to actually be in that situation? Could I have done anything different? So um, later on in my life, I, I look back at these, and you know, what was the causes? I, I'd been trained in root cause analysis, and and uh, the, the equipment that we were dealing with was was a vinyl chloride monomer. The process was vinyl chloride monomer in autoclaves under high pressure, high temperature. It's it's a very volatile chemical. It's poisonous. It's toxic. And, uh, you know, the the safety practices, this is back in the 50s, uh, 1955, it actually since it happened, were probably not as good as they could have been. So later on, I'm working at the plant and um, one day I go home. My son says to me, Dad, why are your hands all white? And uh, I'd been working on a cooling system. And uh, unfortunately, I'd, I'd got chemicals all over my hands due to, uh, was I following the procedure? I don't know. I can't remember. But the problem was, was the safety equipment really wasn't up to standard. So you and were I, actually involved in your own incident. Yes. So I, I was dosing a, a spray pond with a chemical from a drum with a metal uh scoop and I had on rubber gauntlets, PVC rubber gauntlets, you know. So as I was scooping the uh, chemical into the water, um, the spray hit me as the wind changed and uh, the the scoop fell out of my hand, it fell in the water. Naturally, I went to grab it, 
My hands went below the water, the gloves filled up with the uh, water that had just been dosed with this chemical and burnt the skin off my hands. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so in those days, <laughs> you know, we didn't have risk assessments for doing jobs. Um, the uh, incident... I was going to say, what was the process? Were you supposed to tell someone or were you supposed well, to just suck it up and go home and take care of it on your own? In, in those days, it's best to keep your mouth shut. Really? So, you know, we had, it was a union plant and there would have been an investigation and stuff like that. But most, most the guys I worked with just said, say nothing about it because you'll get the blame. Which in the old days, whenever there was an incident, the blame was always put on the person. There was no looking at what was the management system that went wrong. In this particular case, I went back and looked and it was safe work practices. You have one set of gauntlets for four shifts. Each guy should have had his own set of gauntlets. Today, you would have. The gauntlets would have been a tight fit. They would have been slipped off. And the dosing would have been done from a place that uh, was not near the water. It would have been done separate. And, and I, I suspect that's what they do today. So that was one incident. And, and you know, every time you look at incidents, you learn things. Okay, so what, what, what went wrong? You know, how could it be done better? And, of course, there wasn't any MSDSs on this particular plant I worked at. Every single chemical had its, its uh, paperwork removed and held in the uh, engineer's office because nobody wanted to share the process with the, with competitors. So that was that, that was just one point. When would you say the uh, the focus changed on safety processes? Was that in the 70s? Was that in the 80s? What, and what was the reasoning, do you think, that there was a change in a real focus on safety when you're talking about modern times versus say the 50s and 60s when it it wasn't as prevalent well 1975 the uk government brought out a law and things changed overnight we we had sensors fitted you know for gas so that if any vinyl chloride escaped these sensors would go off and let you know you had a leak um there was um government inspectors coming every month to the plant to check how things were being done and, and spot checks and things. So, um, yeah, 1975, we, we, we had uh, better PPE, we had uh, monitoring of the facilities, and it seemed to just happen overnight. I just, you know, they must have had the money somewhere and they fitted all this stuff to, uh, to look at how things were. So another incident that happened to me while I was there, my, my job at the time was to charge the reactors with vinyl chloride. And uh, I was just finishing off a charge, which was a pump pumping through a line with a meter into the reactor. And uh, when the meter shut, because the line pressured up back to the pump, and then it was my job to start the pump. Everything stopped the pump. Everything was manual. So just before I stopped the pump, I noticed all these clouds of uh, white white clouds coming out of this pipe. And uh, I stopped the pump, and I went to my supervisor. I said, you know. I said, I've just seen uh, some leaks from this line. He said, oh, that can't be possible. That's a brand new line. They just put it in at the last turnaround. I said, no, no, it did. So he came out with me. He was very skeptical. Said, did okay, you have, was... I'm sorry to interrupt, but did you have the, uh, did you feel empowered at that time to stop a process if you felt there was something unsafe? Well, I, I didn't notice it till the process had ended. I see. Uh, okay. And now, as for emergency stops, there wasn't really any because this was a, you didn't want to stop one of these reactors when it was ongoing because it was a isothermic reaction. That's the last thing you wanted to do. Yeah, if something really bad happened, you would you would have to deal with it. But you know, that's another story in itself. Uh, people, um, there's actually a CCPS 
incident report about a vinyl chloride plant where they did exactly the same thing. They opened the wrong reactor up to dump it, one that was in service instead of the one that was not in service. So, that, that, you know, these things happen in industry because people rush, they don't take the time, or things aren't signed the right so place. For, you know? I'm, I'm hoping for a lay audience, you can kind of briefly explain what a vinyl chloride plant creates. What kind of products would we would come from that kind of plant? Well, if you've ever used a plastic bowl in the kitchen, okay, nine times out of ten, it's made out of P, uh, probably polyvinyl chloride, um, windows, drain pipes, things like that. This starts out as a gas. It's put into a, a autoclave, a reactor, a chemical uh, mix, and then comes out as a hot slurry. The slurry is dried. It comes a white powder, and the white powder is uh, compressed into um, into moldings, bowls, pipes, things that are used uh, all so over very, the world. So very common household and um, items that you'd see every day just come from these types of processes. Yeah, they do, yeah. Yeah, so my supervisor had, uh, was very skeptical. So I started up the pump because he was up where the line was and he could see all the little puffs going down the line and he said, oh, stop, stop, yeah. So I said, now you believe me. So when they came and did the, because uh, it was a failure of that size, they, they came and they investigated it and, and they found that the contractor had been specified as particular steel for the line and used a cheaper specification steel to save him money, uh, however it failed. So that, you know, management have changed. Somebody on who was there when the new line was put in should have checked that it was the right steel for the job. So yeah, management have changed. <laughs> causes well, incidents do you feel like today there is more of a focus on contractors than there was back in say the 60s and 70s and what their processes were for um uh managing the plant safely and doing their work safely i think that there has been a shift towards inclusiveness of of contractors as part of the workforce rather than just somebody comes in and does a job that nobody else wants to do and you know or a job that's a lot cheaper than you could do it for so yeah i think that contractors have to be treated as part of the workforce the safety processes you know working with them should be the really good engineers who work for the company itself to keep a check on what they're doing and give them any advice if they, if they have any questions to ask but uh, you know this is not the first time i've seen the wrong piece of equipment used the wrong metal used for a job over, over my time in the industry, I, you know, it, it's people don't want to say, oh, we haven't got the right job. We haven't got the right equipment to complete the job and go and find something else. And uh, unfortunately, failures can happen because they haven't used what was specified. And that sort of plays into that information silo that we always talk about, where one uh, contractor or one company isn't really sharing the information correctly and properly. Isn't that part of this? Yes, the silos of information, and, and there is the old, how, how to put this politely, there is a, in, in the industry people, you know, I know this and I don't want to share it with you because I might lose my job. That was we don't always, want that. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's what I used to feel in the old days. I mean, and going back to this, you know, we, we, you know, you, you get this recipe for the uh, for charging the uh, autoclave, the reactor, 
Then there'd be so much vinyl chloride. Everybody knew what that was. It came in big tankers. They couldn't hide that. But then there would be uh, so many pounds of chemical A, so many pounds of chemical B, so many pounds of chemical C, so much hot water, so much of this uh, other fluid, which was like a, a washing uh, liquid to make the suspension better. And then there was this real nasty stuff you put in the end to start the reactor, which smelt like domestics, but uh, I don't even have that in the States. Do you? It's chlorine, chlorine uh, liquid. Oh, chlorine, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it smelled something like that, but we all knew it was nasty stuff, you know. So that all went into this reactor and you pressed the button and away it went and you controlled it at a specific temperature. And then at the end, when the temperature started to rise, you couldn't control it anymore. Then you would dump it because it had finished its reaction. But we didn't know what those chemicals were because the management didn't want the recipe to get out to other to, to, to competitors. Now, I, I haven't been back to that plant and I would imagine in this day and age that that wouldn't be allowed because, you 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 know, the 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 standard of care for employees has, has raised a lot since then. Sure. And you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but so was there sort of this mentality that you just have a job to do? And even though you're smelling this chlorine type smell, uh, it's just back in those days, it was like, we have a job to do. We have to get this done. We, we have to ignore that. And it's kind of morphed into today where if an employee or a worker smells something like that, they're really supposed to uh, note it and uh, make note of it and uh, tell the, the proper people in the plant. Has that well, really changed a lot? Well, I would imagine it has. I know that in the in the industries I've worked in since, yes, but in, in, in the chemical industry at the time, before this 1975 act, um, people who, you know, had a heavy night on the beer the night before and had a bit of a hangover, they, they were going to have a sniff of this stuff to wake them up, you know. That's sure. how bad it was. You know, the other thing about this act, I haven't put any notes on this, but I, I was just trying to remember now, you've asked me the question. When, when the act came in, they started doing tests on all the people that had been there over 25 years. And, and one of the tests that they did was a... Was a, a called a lumbar puncture where they drill into the, uh, the liver and they take a, a biopsy and we had four shifts and three of our shift supervisors were given immediate early retirement because the tests had come back as the, the livers were um, starting to show signs of uh, vinyl chloride uh, affecting the way they, they, they operated. Really? Uh, yeah and the other thing was the, the fingers uh, in the hands had started to stiffen. So that was when I made my mind up. I think I'll, I'll try and find a job outside of this industry because, you know, one of them was a very good friend of mine. I, I used to, you know, I used to play cards on the on the company team and he was my partner in the uh, in the cards team. And uh, he, he, he took his early retirement, but three months later he was dead, you know. And then the, one of the other ones died as well. So it, it, like a year later, out of our shift supervisors who'd been made... Uh, early retirement, only one was still alive. So I began to think, you know, there's, there's got to be something that over the years, is, they haven't been protected from the effects of vinyl chloride. And, you know, this new act that came in in 1975, hopefully will protect the rest of the people who work there. So, yeah, it's, I mean, when I think of that kind of risk, uh, and I think back to like the coal miners with the black lung, and I think of that as, a hundred years ago. I don't think of this type of thing happening 30, 40 years ago, but I guess it did. Well, you've only got to look at the asbestosis. 
I mean, there's, there's cases of asbestosis that are not that old, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago. And there's always the people who won't obey the safety rules. Um, you know, they think they think they they're not susceptible to, to to these type of things. You find them in every every industry. Definitely. So we talked a little bit about PPE, but my understanding, based on the hierarchy of controls, is PPE is kind of the least effective uh, defense. Like you want to eliminate, you want to substitute. There's engineering controls. Can you talk a little bit about the hierarchy of control? Yeah, well, the ideal thing is to always engineer it out um, if you can, because you know, if you're looking at risk, is always to is to sell the risk on to somebody else, right? But you're going to have to, if in a production facility, you're going to have to do work, so you have to minimize risk, uh, engineer it out, or uh, use a different way of doing the job, and eventually you come down to PPE. But you know, some of some of the things like adding five-gallon drum of uh, chemical to a reactor, you know, it's manually done. So, I, you know, we, they would minimize the exposure by a double block system, but the the uh, we didn't have masks in those days. I would imagine today they have a mask that would uh, prevent any inhalation of, of the chemicals or of, of, the, or of the gases that escape. So, yeah, it's... There's the ideal world, and then there's the practical world on on, on um, minimizing risk. Definitely, and I just want to uh, return back to your story a little bit. So, what was the outcome with your hands? Did you have to go to the hospital? Did no, you... no, it just it it just taken the you know it, the skin was like all crackled, you know, and it okay. It, it healed itself within a week or so. You know, skin skin regenerates pretty quick. I mean, it was I was quick enough to to dip go and dip them in some fresh water to minimize the the um, the effect of the chemical what would you say was the um most serious incident that you've seen it you saw in that period i think the most serious incident i saw was the line getting ready to part you know with all these holes down it if it had parted and the vinyl chloride was released at pressure, it would uh, start to vaporize, because it was a liquid, it would start to vaporize, and if it found an ignition source, you'd have a big a big explosion. And uh, it, it was at pressure because the pump was pumping it. So that, that sort of really was a wake up to me that, you know, I, I need to be aware of what other people are doing, not just myself. It's a, it's a team effort. Safety yeah. is a team effort. Yes. And then it helps nowadays that you have the software that you didn't have back then as well, I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. There's uh, having information about what's happening all around the facility is, is you know, ju not just where you are in your own little bubble. Uh, just out of curiosity, when was the first time that you started using a computer uh, for to, uh, or noticed people using computers to document incidents? Was that in the 80s? I'll give you the exact date in a minute. I've got to think. <laughs> uh, I think it was 1985. We had a computer in the office to share, and we were all allowed to use it for, I think it was a maximum time of like 30 minutes. You would go on it, and then somebody else would go on it. And uh, it had access to the internet, and uh, we were allowed to uh, get our own private email accounts on Hotmail. 
So Hotmail had just come out at that time. And uh, we also had company email in a very, very raw format. So if there was an incident, we had a way of reporting it to the safety people. So were you saving thing? Were you saving on these big floppy disks like they had back then? Five was it five and a quarter? Or five and a half? I can't remember now. You had your own disk you took with you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the younger people listening to this would be like, what are you talking about? We had disks. Yeah. But yeah I, well, actually, my first computer, I had a tape drive. So I didn't even have a disk. That was in the early 80s. We just yeah. saved everything on tape. And then we, the biggest uh, joy for us was to get these big floppy disks that we'd stick in there. Um, yeah, I had, a, I had a Texas Instruments computer that had games on it in the house which i got for the, my two boys at the time and uh, that was quite an interesting pac-man and stuff like that you know <laughs> <laughs> well is there anything else in about um industrial incidents that i didn't cover today that you'd like to talk about well now we have systems management systems and if you go back and look at incidents that you were involved in and you can it, it helps you to see okay that you know that was a management of change went wrong there that was an asset integ integrity and reliability problem that went wrong there. That was a safe work practice that went wrong there. You, you start to build up a better understanding of the older incidents. Now, with the new incidents, you go to Marsh and it tells you what happened and probably what the management system was that failed, you know. And if you do root cause analysis, it tells you the, the you know, you finally figure out what went wrong and which management systems failed. So, this this is the big change i think is that instead of blaming the person we blame the management system that went wrong now that person could have initiated the thing that went wrong but why did the management system allow and this is where you get to your engineering controls how did they allow that person to make that mistake was the engineering of the system not right uh could it be improved so th that's one of the basic things i've learned well, thank you so much for your time, Andy. I really appreciate it. And in part two of this series, we'll be talking about Andy's career in Saudi Arabia um, near incidents. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Thank you, James. This concludes this episode of Sphera Now. For more content on topics such as these, we encourage you to visit sphera.com, S-P-H-E-R-A.com. While there, feel free to click contact and submit feedback on this podcast or suggest topics you'd like to see us cover. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.